in my experience, I don't find subscribers to be that important. Like I, I've hidden the subscriber count on my channel because I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It's not relevant. The channel will have a million subscribers at some point. But when people track it and they kind of compare it to other people's channels, the thing that I find that they don't understand is when you have a subscriber number, it doesn't mean a lot because your videos don't reach all of your subscribers. Your videos reach who YouTube wants to send them to based on an algorithmic profile on what people do in the first thousand, 10,000 views, you know, when it gets sent out. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Mr. Miata, aka Rabbi Kenlose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I am actually interviewed by Richard Cooper, who has a show on YouTube called Entrepreneurs in Cars, also the author of Alpha Unplugged. It's a really interesting, edgy book on how to be a man and how to be alpha. I really liked it. It's definitely on the extremes, I think a lot of people would say, but I enjoyed the, the material. If you've ever want to learn how to structure your career, finances, and friends for long-term success and happiness, you're going to enjoy this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. One, the most important skill to have as an entrepreneur. What is it? Two, why success is boring. And three, how to invest to stay rich rather than to get rich. Enjoy those three things plus a bunch more air nuggets along the way. Before we dive in, make sure you subscribe to appsumo.com as well as youtube.com slash okdork. You guys already heard these links, but make sure you check them out. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Gabriel Reinberg from Israel. What up, Ahi? He said, time for a book. Noah, been enjoyed listening to you here since we met in the TLV OK Dork meetup years back. That is awesome, man. Thank you, and thank every other one of you listeners. If you want a shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. I love you. This is my second time here. Uh, living a dream in Puerto Rico. I'm enjoying it. I was in the snowpocalypse. Did you hear about that in, in Texas? Yeah, you guys got a little bit of snow and everybody freaked out and shit. Like, I live in Canada. They're like, this is my day right now. I've got about three feet outside of my front lawn. <laughs> Dude, we get like a centimeter and we we get scared. Uh, but yeah, I was trying to get out here for my birthday and the snowpocalypse happened. The shit was crazy. So I still don't have water. Like, my house is actually, the ceiling collapsed. So the pipes I was freeze like, and blow up and stuff? or They did. They did. Um, luckily, my neighbors called. Let me see if I have a, it, I'll find a picture. But anyways, my, my neighbors called. They're like, hey, I think your house is leaking. So I, I was like, well, might as well just leave Texas and go to Puerto Rico. So I'm out here. The beach is amazing. My friend Eric Southwell, he had a, he says that you got to have the three C's of life. And uh, so we're going to focus on that, which is sleep. I don't know if it's a C, but sleep, cardio, and good friends. He's focusing on that. So it's, we're trying to get good sleep, trying to have good cardio, and we have good friendships. So uh, it's been good out here. So speaking of Puerto Rico, there's a lot of guys that, um, I've talked to over the last couple of years to talk about the tax advantages of living there with Act 20 and Act 22. I'm sure you know you know enough about it. And you mentioned you were, I don't know, like, are they expats if they live in Puerto Rico? Or Puerto Rico is considered part of the United States, isn't it? Yeah, we we own it. I mean, not me, <laughs> but America. <laughs> I'm one of the shareholders of this state. Okay. Uh, it's kind of like we, it's like we took Mexico. I don't okay. know how we got some of these, but not others. It's a bunch of weirdos out here, which I like, but it's it's a very specific type of person. Are they uh, like tech entrepreneur like eight like eight figure weirdos kind of like you got like weirdos like do you fit in does it feel like you're part of your tribe or no not entirely no okay and it's no hate on that because i think puerto rico it attracts certain person so one of my best friends eric lives here i think it attracts people that are like hey i can save money on taxes i think they like their life here i don't know if they love it i think if you're interested in like crypto if you're interested in saving money i guess for me i'm like why don't you just try to make more money and then live wherever the hell you want to live uh, I guess that's been my approach. But it, dude, you're on an island. Uh, you got the beach everywhere. The vibes are good. So it is a nice place to go. I think I like visiting here more than actually living. How are the beaches? Are they as nice as like a place like Playa del Carmen or Cancun? 
pretty similar, actually. Yeah, pretty, pretty similar. Okay. It's windy as hell, but the beaches are nice. The water's good. A lot of kite surfing. It's super windy out here. But I honestly, mm. I've only been here for a few days, so I don't have like I need to meet more weirdos. Need to see how the women look out here. The, the Mexican food's pretty damn good. Uh, so so Puerto far, Rico, though, like is it is it Mexican food or is it Puerto Rican food? Because do it, they actually distinguish it? No, I think it's actually similar. It's similar but different. I think they have some Mexican, but it's a lot of like rice and beans and plantains. A little more like island vibe than uh, like inner Mexico. And you're originally from, was it LA or Silicon Valley? Because I know that, that, you know, you spent some time in, in the tech area because you, you did get started with uh, Facebook. Yeah, I was born in the Bay Area. So I was born like literally like a few blocks from Apple's campus. So my whole, my first 30 years of my life was all in, immersed in that world. How old were you when you got into Facebook? That was about 11 years ago? Dude, it was old, man. What was it? I was 23. So that was in 2005. So you're basically so, what, like a senior citizen at 23 at Facebook at the time? <laughs> no, we were the dude. It's so funny now because now at, at our company, AppSumo.com. So I was 23 at Facebook, and I remember we hired these 30 year olds, and they would leave at five o'clock, and I would always call them such wussies. I was like, "You guys are such bitches! I cannot believe you're leaving so early. Like, we stay here all night." And then like Mark had this old lady as his executive coach, and what I realized though now is now I'm in my 30s is that the the people who are in their 30s actually just worked really smart. They came in at nine, they got all their shit done, and they left at five, where us young dumbasses were like, I'm here all the time, but we're not actually as productive. And uh, the older people had a lot more wisdom and experience. Like Mark getting an executive coach, you know, definitely helped him uh, reach these levels that he's at. So how did you get hired at Facebook at employee number 30? Because that would have been, I mean, I had a business at one time with 24 or 25 people. It was definitely under, under 30 for sure. And I knew what that was like. Like, what did like what was Facebook like at the time? Like, so I'll tell you a little bit of the backstory. So I was in a cubicle at Intel. Mm -hmm. So I I lived at my mom's house, which I know you always tell tell guys that they're trying to get laid to live at your mom's house. Yeah, awesome and, place uh, to live if you want to get lots of poon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude. You know, fourteen hundred square foot small Bay Area house, and I was living at my mom's house, and I was doing a lot of these side hustles. That's what they're called now. I was just doing projects. You know, I think it's called a project until you make money. And, and you know, when you can support yourself, it becomes a business. And I had all these kind of, I did a discount card called Ninja Card. I had a college uh, Craigslist called College Up. I was doing consulting. I was blogging, all this different stuff. And while I was at Intel, I was like, I'm going to quit here. My dream is to run my own company and work abroad. Like I wanted to like start a business and then be my own boss and then eventually live abroad. And I was about to quit and I saw a job on Facebook. I just, I think one of the best things that anybody can do that's young is go work for the company or the person that you admire or that you mm -hmm. already enjoy. And I didn't, there was no other company. I wasn't looking for a job, but I was like, I love the site. I use it a lot. I was using it to like meet women. I was using it to hire people actually. When was that? 2005, you said? Yeah. I think anyone, just look at what you're, what are, it's on your phone. Go to your computer history. And uh, yeah, I saw that they're hiring a product manager. And I was doing all this product stuff on the side. So I think that's kind of a key thing for people trying to get jobs is that it was really easy for them to hire me because I'm like, I've been doing this for fun and making money myself. So I just sent in a resume cold. I didn't have any referrals. I didn't have any friends there. And then when I came in for the job interview, I came with a bunch of uh, mock-ups. I said, here's all the things I think you guys should be doing. And I actually did the work for you. So I think kind of making it a no-brainer for them to hire me. Yeah, I got the job. It was a fucking wild thing, man. Like the first day, I still never forgot this. First day I come in, my boss, Doug Hirsch, uh, Doug is now a billionaire from, uh, he started GoodRx, which I don't know if it's up in Canada. Yeah, that's uh, that's like a prescription company, right? Like a pharmacy? Yeah, online. yeah, it's like yeah. you see them on TV and you can get like discounts on stuff. But anyways, the first day I come to work and Doug's the one who hired me. First day I come to work, Doug is walking out and I'm like, what the hell just happened? And Mark, Mark comes up to me, he's like, I just fired your boss. Welcome <laughs> to Facebook. 
I was like, all right, all right, that's that's different. And so right. he fired uh, because Doug wanted to sell the company to Yahoo for a billion. Yeah, Mark didn't want to sell. And it, it, honestly, it was probably one of the biggest professional growth periods I've ever had. What did they hire you for? Like, what were you doing there at the time? There's basically in, in tech companies, you have developers and designers, and then there's these product and project managers. And the roles can be kind of blended. But I was hired as a product manager, which is ultimately Mark says, hey, I want you to improve the ads product. Like, here's some things I want. Mm-hmm. We have to figure out the spec of it, the specifications, and then help make sure it happens. So I worked on Facebook ads, improving that, getting that going. I built the first Facebook mobile product. I invented status updates. So you know Twitter, which is basically status updates. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I invented that. At, it started at Facebook before Twitter ever did it. Dude, honestly, it was it was the most like intimidating, nerve-wracking, stressful, fulfilling time, I think, of my career still to this day, which is crazy. I was only there like about a year. They ended up firing you too. And I know that you lost your interest in the business. Was it stock options? Was it options? Yeah. Like, what did they... Offer yeah. you at the time. They offered 0.1% of the company. That was how many shares I Point got. One, yeah, because I was watching the interview that you did with um, Wolf of Wall Street. And um, I think you said that they, at the time, because the video was last summer, that the stocks would have been worth like something like $600 million. Yeah, now I'm trying to get ripped rich on uh, crypto. So I'm, I'm going to bet it all, Richard, and then hopefully crypto is going to make me rich. Yeah, let's talk about crypto in a minute. Let's <laughs> not, joking, let's not skip over the getting fired <laughs> no, part. Uh, no, I've, you know, I was <laughs> depressed for like, you know, this is 15 years ago. So sometimes it's wild to reflect on it. I do think it helped me to have a chip on my shoulder. I was like, fuck, man, I got fired by Facebook and I got fired by Mint. And then my next company got banned by Facebook. We were doing Facebook games and payments and they banned the company. I was like, fucking A, man. Like, and now I'm, you know, professionally, I've made it to a level that a lot of people would call successful and I would call successful, but a lot of fucking failures and uh, close calls. I think that that chip on the shoulder from Mark kind of not fucking me over, but firing me, like gave me that, that drive. Why did they fire you? Was it because of fit? There's a lot of different things. I think now that I'm an employer of people, I would have definitely fired me. I had a guy similar to me that was a young buck. I called him. He was a maverick. He's not supposed to be employed. And he always wanted to run his own show. And now he runs his own show. And I think that was definitely similar to me at Facebook. I didn't want to be in meetings. Like I excelled when we were at 30 people. And then when we got to a few hundred people, you know, I didn't want to go to meetings and have like 80 people. Literally, they'd have hour discussions. Not joking. Hour discussions about which font to use. And that's fine. That's 80 people in the meeting. No, there'd probably be about 30. Still, that's outrageous. To talk about a fucking font, dude. And yeah. I was, I just did not. That's just, that's fine. It's just not where I wanted to. I think I'm like, people are dying. Like, this is not what I want to be spending time on. And I didn't like the organization at a larger scale. And even though it's 150 scenes tiny now that they have 50,000 people. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I needed to accept that, like, I probably need to work for myself because it's not really, I'm not really employable. Yeah. Like most guys that end up building businesses find themselves in a position where they can't like they can't work for somebody else working for somebody else can be okay if you can get decent pay and you've got no risk whatsoever then it could be fun but uh you get a lot more flexibility um question for you in your own businesses though like now as you as you go about run them did you like did you take any lessons away from your experience with mark zuckerberg and working at facebook that you then applied to your own entrepreneurial ventures like were there any big aha moments, any big takeaways like, oh, that shit works in Facebook, so I'm gonna use it over here, like kind of rip off and duplicate? I think the the number one thing that I still use this day, fifteen years later, uh, is the singularity of his focus. Focusing so Mark, on one thing only? He was exceptional at it. I mean, I've worked I worked at Microsoft as an intern, I met Bill Gates, I've met you know a lot of the idols in the tech industry. And they're very simple. They're one, they're geniuses. They're above normal levels of intelligence. Like you meet them and you're like, okay, you're thinking in things beyond me. But his focus on like, for example, when I was working there, 
I'm a traditional entrepreneur in terms of I like profit. And so I would go to Mark and be like, hey, here's how we can make money in the business because I want it to be profitable. And it was it was a more Silicon Valley business like Clubhouse is today, which is we're going to grow and get super fucking huge and then we'll make money later. And that's fine. That was just never that's never my style. But Mark was really obsessive on, hey, I want to grow the user base. I'm just trying to grow. So if it does not grow the user base, we do not do it. And so let me give you an example with AppSumo today. And I'll tell you about my personal stuff as well. With AppSumo, we have a revenue goal. And that is literally the main thing that matters in the business. And with YouTube, which is what I do full time, our goal is 250,000 subscribers. And that is the only goal. That is our main KPI that we are focused so fucking tightly on. And I, I would definitely say that was from Mark, which is, you know, you meet a lot of entrepreneurs like, yeah, well, I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And, I'm, you know, my goal is not clear. And, and Mark was just very clear in where he was going. I want to ask you about um, your YouTube channel and your goal around the subscribers in a bit. But I also wanted to sure. um, chat a little bit about AppSumo and like, what is AppSumo? Like, what problem does it solve? Because this is like your big business now, right? I mean, the last video that I saw, you mentioned it was doing about $30 million a year. So this is this is pretty significant. Like you're an eight figure entrepreneur at this point now. I can't believe how big we are. Like when I look at our daily revenue and I look at the customers and I look people buying and, you know, the people we help and the people we promote, I'm still in shock because when I started it, the reason I started it was that I love deals and I love software and I love marketing and being an evangelist. And I was like, well, people always need more customers. I love promoting things. What if I just did deals on software? And it was basically, you know, software deal site. And, that, and that's what it's kind of like a group on for software uh, was the first version. And I've started, I don't know, 20, 25 businesses over my life so far. And this is one of the first ones. I've worked in a few hyper growth. When you find something that works, it's different. Like when oh, I yeah. was at Facebook, it fucking exploded. When I was working at Mint.com, it exploded. When I worked at my Facebook games thing, it exploded. When I did like AppSumo and I launched it, exploded. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of the other ones that fucking flopped. Like a lot of floppage. And I think people wanted deals. People want software and all these companies want customers. So now today, I would say that we've transitioned it to become more of like an Amazon. So it's a mm. marketplace for software. So if you're starting a business, you go buy tools. Or if you're growing a business, you buy tools. And also someone like you or people out there now can list their courses, they can list their books, they can list their software, you know, as an open marketplace. You mentioned a few of them with great successes and hyper growth. Um, and there's a, obviously a few that didn't get there. At what point do you decide to take it around like behind the barn, beat it with a stick, kill it and then bury it six feet under? Like, is there after six months, if it's not doing what you want it to do? Like, how do you like, how do you evaluate that when you're playing the win in your own business? That's a very Canadian side of you, Richard. You're like, oh, we're going to take them out to the, the skating rink. We're going to do some uh, cucking. No, not cucky. What is that called? <laughs> <laughs> it's Me and my friend talk about cucking all the time out it's here. It's called hockey. Hockey. Yeah, that's your game you guys play. We're going to hockey stick it. So I will say we had a framework that was pretty rigid, which is basically 12 months ROI. So we'll try anything and spend up to about a million dollars in terms of salaries and development and things like that. And can we make our money back between 12? Sometimes we'll go longer. So when we did sumo.com, it exploded. And then we were making our money back in 18 months. But let me give you two other examples. We launched Meet Fam. Meet mm -hmm. Fam in salaries, people's salaries, we paid a million dollars. And then after a year, we made 12,000 bucks. And so we didn't see that the, the, the customer base was going to get to some level. We didn't see that the user base was going to get to some level. So that we killed it. And I think that's one of the key mistakes, I would say, of marketers and entrepreneurs, which is they don't stop the, the losers and they don't double down. Or I think our company has done, gotten to this level because we've 10x the winners. But yeah, Meet Fam was a whatever tool. We built a site called Hall Drop two years ago, which was like a um, product hunt for e-commerce stores. So you could you know rank and find cool products. 
it didn't really get a lot of traction and we tried for a year and then we killed it. So I think you have to do 12 months ROI. Why do you think AppSumo was so successful and the other ones crashed? So AppSumo, I think a key reason AppSumo works is urgency. So if you get an email today that's like, hey, I launched my book, go check it out. Or hey, here's the software, go check it out. There's no reason to go to take action today. Mm-hmm. But AppSumo was like, yo, this is an insane deal that's only going to be around for 48 hours. And so I think that led to a lot of people being like, oh, shit, like, here's a product I already like, and now I can get a, a, an insane price on it. And so I think people took action on that. Meet and you fam- have to be on the email list to get notified of all these deals, too, then. So that forces people. Well, that, that grows your email list, which, which grows your customer base. Yeah, you don't have to be on. So originally, like 95% of our revenue came from email marketing. So mm-hmm. I've made millions of dollars, uh, and our company has, because of email. But nowadays, we've diversified our traffic so that we're not as dependent. Like if Gmail puts us in a spam folder one day, we don't get screwed. The other products, like we built this, this tool, Meet Fam, which was an automatic email sender for Shopify stores. So okay. let's say, you, Richard, you created a store for t-shirts and you want to send emails. You literally could connect the store and we do all of your email marketing automatically. I think it was a little bit complex and I think people wanted a little bit more control over it. So people wanted to actually send, they wanted to like touch their emails more than our ones we generated, like, I don't really like the way this looks. I think what we could have done differently in that business is done more consulting and done more like manual, like, hey, Richard, let us run your email marketing. And we do that for enough time. uh, And then we can figure out some solution. Uh, There's other reasons, like people didn't want to switch from Klaviyo. I think what, what happens is a lot of people start businesses or they get fantasies about it. And I don't know if the validation is really strong that this is going to be successful or not. I think most businesses, 100%, you can find out within a weekend whether it's going to be successful or not. Within yeah, a weekend, you should be able to know very, very quickly. I mean, the way you know is if people are willing to give you money. The thing that that always drove me bonkers, you know, with a lot of um, tech companies, and it's, I find it strange that you come from that background and you don't subscribe to the notion of just building an audience, like just building users, like acquiring people onto something like Facebook, and then let's worry about monetizing it five, ten years down the road. We'll just keep raising funding. Until we get to that point. And that always drove, drove me like nuts. Like I always bring the hand up like high in the head. It's like, you know, Seinfeld, where you're like, when you go up here, you're like, oh, that drives me crazy. But like, I've always loved to bootstrap my stuff, right? Let me ask you this question. Um, what do you think the most important skill is for an entrepreneur um, in order to be successful? Uh, I think have dad issues because you want to prove yourself. So it doesn't have to be a dad issue. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the thing I think is the most important skill or I'll give it two. But I think the people that have had some chips on their shoulder and have something to prove is definitely excelled because they've like, I've got to get through this hard part. And I, you know, I wanted my dad to, to acknowledge me because I felt like I, I didn't get enough attention when I was younger. And then as I started making money, I was, I thought that would get the attention. It didn't. Uh, and so eventually you have to like yourself and things like that. But I definitely think having some uh, levels of that, like Steve Jobs was adopted. I think that definitely impacted a little bit uh, of his success. But I would say in terms of like actual skills that people could practice, and I can give people tips on how to do it. Number one is persistence. It is fucking a grind. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's easier than others, but the, like I'm doing full-time YouTube. There's days where I launch a video with our team and I'm like, I'm the greatest superstar out there. And there's days like today, we put a video, no one watches it. And it's being able to fucking go on the next day. So I say persistence. I tell people to do the coffee challenge. That's kind of what I got known for, which is go out and get rejected. You go out What's and ask for temper- challenge. So you go out when you get your coffee, so the coffee mm-hmm. mug, and you say, when you go to Starbucks or whatever in Canada, Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons, and uh, you say, hey, I want 10% off. And you can do this when you buy anything. And they say no. Or maybe they say yes. Who cares? The point is you get rejected. And that really builds up your, your, your kind of fear muscle, but also your persistence muscle. Because you're like, all right, well, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. And eventually you're like, 
you know, you, you talk a lot, you know, help guys with dating and, and advice and women. And a lot of it is like, all right, keep going. It's fine. So I think persistence, you know, my, one of my favorite quotes my friend says, persistence beats resistance. Uh, so I'd say that's number one mm. that I love. And the second thing I'd say as an entrepreneur personally is re- you know, follow through. I can't tell you how many sales I've done in my life. And I've done millions of dollars in sales from actual sales as well as online sales that just because of the follow-up, follow-up email, follow-up call, follow-up text, follow-up WhatsApp message has closed the deal. Uh, and so many people email me and like, or email, I'm sure you get emails all the fucking time. Hey, Richard, I'd love to do something with you. Never follow up. So I still, I owe you a follow up actually for the book notes, but it's still in my to do's. So I'm going to do it. And it's just like, you got to follow up on your things. And I think that that separates a lot of winners from losers. Mm-hmm. I think losers send one Instagram DM to some girl or one, you know, one message to some company they want to partner with and they call it a day. And they're like, oh, it didn't mm-hmm. work. It's like, did you really want it? If you want it, follow up. You know, like I mentioned, I've thought a lot about this. And I think if I were to like distill it down to one thing, I would say having having the ability to solve problems. Gumption is very important to, you know, like having that grit like you talked about. But I find that when you start up a business, it's it's really just a sequence of problems that you have to deal with. And if you can get good at finding solutions to problems, um, you can get good at business. I mean, it's the same thing with women. It's like how you were talking about the 10% rule and dealing with rejection. There's There's a large demographic of men out there today that don't know how to deal with rejection with women. And I mean, they would be no good at starting up a business or doing sales calls and stuff like that at the same time. But I think that's an important um, thing to mention too. I like the resourcefulness one. I definitely think that's a, that's a great one. What are you super passionate about today? Is it like your YouTube channel? Is that like, like, like the whole focus of your thing? Do you do anything with AppSumo on a day-to-day basis or is that for like other people to deal with now? Yeah, that's other people that like it more than I do. I mean, I, I love what it is. I enjoy the company. I don't think I enjoy the day-to-day. I did it for enough. To, I did it for as much as I, I wanted to. And the people who are running it are better than me. I think that that's kind of a hard thing as we get older to accept what we're great at and accept what we're not great at and let that go. And uh, yeah, my days, honestly, I love making YouTube. I get like, I'm, my career literally is kind of talking to you right now. Like, how fucking cool is that? I get to hang out with you. Yeah. And I get to be a part of, I, I love tech still. So I like that I still get to be a part of AppSumo, which is, you know, it's promoting a lot of the, the latest technology mm-hmm. uh, for entrepreneurs. I got a comment here from somebody. It looks like they, he says, when I, when I first started internet marketing, the first copywriting resource I used was AppSumo's 35 email templates. Every business needs stolen straight from the experts outboxes made six figure sales for my first cold call email campaign that I made. And that's what I learned in that PDF. So that's pretty cool. You know, what's funny. I'll tell you, I like, I've been blogging since 2000. You can go to yeah. archive.org and see, I've been blogging stupid shit and great shit since then. But I always thought I was dumb and I was always kind of scared of accepting being out in public fully without apology, not, not without apology, but just being out fully. And I'll say like, I just thought maybe I thought myself was stupid or didn't really help people. And a year ago, I was talking with a friend. He's like, you sure it's not helping people? And I finally started looking at the comments and I started listening to people. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how you do it, Richard, but I reply to almost every single YouTube comment. And I, you know, we, at this point, I don't need more money. I, I do take more money and I enjoy more money, but I, don't, I, I try not to focus on it as much. But I fucking love the comments and I love going into YouTube and like replying to the comments or see people getting the results. And like, you know, it gives me a lot of satisfaction. I feel like I'm helping these other underdogs kick ass. So here's a little sales pitch for Noah's channel. You can just look it up under Noah Kagan and uh, it's spelled K-A-G-A-N. Don't spell it the wrong way like I did when I set up the event. But uh, yeah, pull it up and check out his stuff. He's got some really good videos on there. I'm subscribed and I definitely watch some of the interesting ones. I like how you kind of pivoted into like, breaking down like success stories like i watched the other one the other day on um warren buffett you've done a few different things on the channel like you've moved from one to the other to the other sort of thing like what did you start out the channel doing dude it's so wild and i think we're pretty 
I would, I won't say advanced, but I think we're cracking some codes that are going to take us to these next levels that I'm happy to, to talk about. When Corona hit in February, March, and I think everyone was like, what the fuck is going on? I got really excited. I, my natural state is thriving in chaos. So the more chaotic things are and the more things are kind of confusing, I'm, I just get very excited. Like for me, when it's the same, like if I go to sleep and it's the same thing every night, I'm like, how do I change it? And I'm trying to actually get better at that, to be honest. Like I'm trying to get better at being more enjoying the consistency of life and sustainability. But yeah, so March happened. I was like, shit's going crazy. And I was like, yeah, this is go time. So I started just making videos again, talking about like, what am I doing with my stocks? What am I doing with my business? What are we doing at our company? And I just try to help people during that time period. And it was just so fulfilling. And I just said, fuck it, man. You like this stuff. Like, figure out how to make this something that you can do forever. And so the first videos were just me shirtless, using my phone, being like, hey, here's what I'm doing today. Like, let's go fucking make some stuff happen. And then I, one of the things I talk about on the channel is the law of 100, which mm-hmm. I think I think is true. It's not technically a law, but all laws are man-made. Uh, and the law is basically make 100 videos or do 100 sales or talk to 100 girls or women, whatever it is. And so I did 100 videos more or less last year. We got to about 100 at the, I think, beginning of this year. And like a few of those videos worked in terms of like getting to like five or six figure views. So it, it, it's, been a, it's been a grind, but also satisfying to find something that I enjoy. I also like the, the marketing aspect of it. Like, how do I crack this code to entertain people, help them and, I'll, you know, and grow an audience at the same time? I find it fascinating, too. Like, I like that you can run it as a company of one because I'm at the stage now where I don't want to deal with corporate issues, employees going to an office and all that stuff. I got out of my business. My brother runs it now. I just kind of, you know, do some consulting. I do a weekly show on my other channel, uh, you know, for that business actually on uh, Saturday morning. So Total Debt Freedom is a channel, 9 a.m. Saturdays, me and Andrew are on doing that. But I'm just looking here at your older videos and like you've got one, two, three, four rows, five rows before you hit 221,000 views on one of your videos, which is three years ago, Slack tutorial, how to Slack like a pro in less than five, is that five hours? Five minutes. So. Why did that one break out for you, do you think? Because everything think up to that point was getting like 2,000, 3,000 views, and, and then that one got 221,000. Yeah. I think what's, what's interesting, though, is that like I've gone through, I think like I have the entrepreneur disease, which is, oh, my next thing is going to be easier and better. And mm-hmm. I think every entrepreneur thinks right. this. It never is. It honestly never is. But I started YouTube, and I didn't have anything to do. And I didn't know what to do with my life. And one of the guys I worked with is like, why don't you just get on video and we'll make videos together? <laughs> I'm laughing because I did the exact same thing in 2014. I was like, I hate my business. I don't want to do this anymore. I like fast cars and entrepreneurs. Let's go do this shit instead. I get it, dude. It's exact same thing. Yeah, I think for most people, it's just go back to what you enjoyed as a kid or go do th- go work on things that you'd work on for free. Like, do you follow James Altucher? Because that's something that I've heard him say a lot. I like James. Yeah, James is a friend. Yeah, like one of the things that I heard him say, I was at this conference a few years ago and you know, he was there with his ex-wife at the time and he was talking about how, you know, you like have these have this like idea sex and you just mash up two ideas and like what did you do when you were like eleven or twelve years old and you lost track of time sort of thing? It's like But I, I think generally it's like if you want to make the most money possible, just go find the thing you can work on for free forever. I just sorted your videos by popularity. You have one here on the top, looks like five. Mr. Steel Yo Pennies, why Jewish people are taking over the yeah. world. That one didn't seem to do so well with the like to dislike ratio. That's a video I'm not sure I would put out today. Not something I want to get into or like debate with other people. I was, yeah, I was yeah. in Israel. I was living in Israel at the time. I'm happy to talk about it. It's just interesting that this one culture and there there are um, conspiracy theories. Like you can look on Wikipedia. Oh, like there's why a lot the Ash- of dudes that will blame the Jews for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's conspiracy theories. Why are the Ashkenazis, the the lighter skinned Jews, mm-hmm. uh, so successful? So do I know? I don't know the answer. So what's next for you with the channel? Like, where are you going to go with this? Have you, have you completely pivoted to like 
breaking down how Mr. Beast made $97 million a year and why, and why Warren Buffett does what he does sort of thing? Like, is that a, is that a commitment for you now? You know what I think about success? The more successful you are, the more boring it gets. I feel because you find what works and then you're Too like, easy. well, yeah, you're like, ah, I have to keep doing this. So that's hard. Like if something's boring in your business, it means you're doing well. We were doing these videos, breaking down people. So breaking down Warren Buffett, breaking down Mark Cuban, two things. One, it does get boring to say, hey, here's how we're breaking down people. And most of them are kind of the same thing. So it's not actually that it becomes not interesting for us to create. And I think for the audience, but I would say initially when we started breaking down, we broke down Mr. Beast in the first video. And it was like our first like huge video of the year did 400,000 views. And so our strategy at AppSumo.com and uh, within our YouTube channel as well, the way we've always run our business, like if something works, 10 exit. Mm -hmm. I know Grant talks about this shit, but I I don't think people actually get what that means. Like if you find it. So for us, we found that how to make money breakdown works on YouTube. Go look at our channel. It's like every other video now is like a breakdown video. I noticed Um, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're pretty obsessive about finding what works but what what we're noticing is it's not working anymore they're really well researched is it is it something that you invest your time into research and to lay out all the data or does somebody do it for you like so we have a a full team Uh, i'm happy to talk about that so i spent this year 2021 i'm going to spend a million dollars on our youtube channel you're going to spend a million dollars on the youtube channel (laughs) yeah we're spending a million dollars investing i'm getting antsy here like shaking because i know that youtube doesn't pay we make from youtube ads directly we make five thousand dollars a month the team that works on the channel takes two thirds of it. And then our company takes a third of it. I want them to be motivated. So as the channel grows, they get compensated. Okay. So they're um, getting paid like a commission, like a percentage split. Well, plus salary. I mean, they have yeah. their salary and that's like their bonus on top of it. But yeah, so we found that those videos, I'm happy to talk about our budgets and all this stuff, but we found that yeah, those yeah. videos work. So we went crazy on it. And, you know, we're trying to, we were trying to find series. So what are content angles that we can repeat? So mm-hmm. the, how do people make money was a series. The other series that's worked really well for our channel is business ideas. So we go, we partner with different companies that have data and we're like, hey, what are the top businesses that people can start? Every one of those videos has, bang, has banged. And then we do a video called Million Dollar Weekend where I show people how to start million dollar business in a weekend. Those have done well. I just hate doing them. So I think that that's kind of the, the challenge in all business. Like, what do you want to do in the world? What people want to pay for? And then like, how do I fucking play in the middle? So yeah. I will say though, I'm, I'm very excited though. We're trying to figure out series, but also just to have more fun with it, man. I was talking to my business partner about our upcoming content. And it was just like, he's like, no, you don't have to make any more money. Like you have more than enough. Like, do you want to make any of these videos? And I was like, yeah, they're okay. He's like, well, stop, dude. Just go fucking find the ones you're excited about. So I'm going to read off a few of our upcoming ones where we've been brainstorming on, which is like my old managers roast me, why I hate Clubhouse and I hate everyone who talks about it. Uh, I wish all these old guys would stop telling me to invest in Pokemon cards. I don't know. Just like... (laughs) Oh, just fucking funny shit. Like, is Ty Lopez a scam or not? One of our videos we're talking about is running. That one will do well. Yeah. I mean, we just did Grant Cardonia scam. One of the videos is like, I want to run someone's company for 24 hours to see what the fuck I could do to it. I don't know. Just more like more. We're trying to do the series and and our our angle is business. Like I'm my expertise in startups and marketing. You know, the way I've thought about our content, you know, is some of the videos are like, this can get 5,000 views or this is a 6,000 view or six figure video or the seven figure. And so trying to, I guess, increase the pie of how many potential people would want to watch one of our videos. And I think a lot of people are, they make a video. I'm like, how many people would actually want to watch that, even if it's the best one online? A little bit earlier, you were saying that your goal for the year is to get the channel up to a quarter million subscribers. Uh, As I look at it right now, it's got 131,000 subs. So that's totally doable. Why do subscribers matter to you? Like, why not revenue? Why not uh, total views? Like, why not some other metric? Because in my experience, I don't find subscribers to be that important. Like, I... I've hidden the subscriber count on my channel because I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. 
It's not relevant. The channel will have a million subscribers at some point. But when people track it and they kind of compare it to other people's channels, the thing that I find that they don't understand is when you have a subscriber number, it doesn't mean a lot because your videos don't reach all of your subscribers. Your videos reach who YouTube wants to send them to based on an algorithmic profile on what people do in the first thousand, 10,000 views, you know, when it gets sent out. So I'm just wondering why it's subscribers for you. Like, why does that matter? At the end of the day, it's all arbitrary. So as we came into the year, we were originally going to focus on breaking even. It was like, hey, let's get the channel to break even so it's self-sustainable. And I went to my business partners and I said, hey, we can break even or we can try to really grow the channel significantly. And if we grow the channel significantly, I think it's going to really benefit all of our businesses. Like everything we've created, now we can put water on it if you know my brand gets larger. And they said, yeah, that's great. Go invest in, in your brand and your audience in this audience so that as you get larger, you can tell more people about AppSumo or other products we're creating. And so then it was like, all right, well, what's a good measurement of the audience? And so we actually originally looked at like, we called it total available mark, total available audience. No, it was called Margarita, monthly active readership or some shit like that. And it was like every audience from Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, YouTube, all these different things. And it was just too hard to grow at all. It was like hard to grow my Instagram and my YouTube and my Twitter. And so I was like, all right, let's just pick one. So we picked YouTube. And then the subscriber goal feels the most controllable. It feels like if I do things that I think will impact our growth, I can easily see that making an impact on our our subscriber number directly. Mm -hmm. I feel a lot of times people do, they do goals and it's like, can you control it? Not really. So that's not a goal. Yeah, I think there's things like, you know, just because you have a lot of subscribers doesn't mean you have a lot of viewers. It just feels for me right now to be the most indicative of the success of the channel. Got it. Do you think that YouTube is a place where, I mean, on a balance of probabilities, most people should spend their time if they want to grow an audience? Like, is that the best place in your view? Or like, like, I mean, you've got a video here about Clubhouse as well, and I haven't used it because I'm not an Apple user. I have an Android. So they've excluded me from their club. But um, yeah, right. (laughs) What's the... What's your view on like the the best platform to grow your business on? Like, is it still that? 100% YouTube. A lot of people get scared off because they're like, oh, you know, I wish I had done it in 2010 or whatever. And it's too late. They're going to wish they did it in 2021. 100%. People are like, even crypto, and we can talk about that a little bit. I'm happy to share my numbers. I think YouTube is going to be one of the number one job creators in the next 10 years. Number one. Why? You don't need any fucking money. You could do it wherever in the world, and you could do it for whatever you're interested in. And the next generation, like the next president... The next A-list celebrities, most of them are going to come from YouTube. I think TikTok and Clubhouse and Instagram, I don't think bring quality audience. I think as I've seen from the YouTube channel, one, it brings you an audience, it pays to host your videos, and then they pay you ad money. That's fucking bonkers. Like name other businesses that do that. And the audience that I've seen that like watches your show, like Dan and Raymond and the people that are showing up today and the ones who watch on my channel, I've just never seen a marketing medium that's brought this many great, amazing customers and you know, audience and potential customers. I just haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, the algorithm is good when you figure out what it wants. Is there anything that you hate about YouTube? Like, is there anything that you don't like about it? Or if you're like Susan, like that you would change right now? I think what gets challenging is there's times it feels like a treadmill. Like I'm on vacation in Puerto Rico and I'm stressing. Like I have my, so like I have my, that's my camera bag with like a bunch of setup gear and it's just. Because you have to make content. Yeah. And, and, you know, at the same time, that is a job of sorts, right? Like if you're trying, I think that's where people struggle with YouTube is like, I want to be successful and I'm trying to be a channel. I'm trying to build a business. It's like, how long are you going to do it for? If you're not willing to commit to at least a hundred videos or 10 years, I don't think you should expect success from it. But I will say there are times where like, I'd like to not to have to make videos, but it does feel that YouTube rewards recency in content. But overall, I love YouTube. I mean, I don't have many complaints because look, I don't have to do this shit. So I don't have much to complain about. If you don't want to do it, don't fucking do it. But I like that I get to make videos. I get to interact with smart people like yourself. 
I get to like respond to comments. And I, I like the creativity. Like I like that lately we're like, how do we make a video where I take over? So I gave away a business two weeks ago. We bought a company and gave it away. It, it, it was interesting. I don't know if we'll do that uh, exactly the same way, but it was like, oh, that's, it's fun to create these types of new. Yeah. Uh, you do some interesting giveaways. I mean, you gave away a, a car, a Tesla, was it? Yeah. We just posted that on AppSumo's video. I don't think we got as much juice out of it as I would have liked. Like I think if you're giving a fucking Tesla, you need to, I'd like to see the ROI be crazier. We did mm -hmm. ROI our money back in about, I think it was like three months. But I think in terms of the content, we don't, I don't think our team, and I think we're, we're working on it, making, taking a giveaway of a Tesla as a, you know, really entertaining thing to watch. And I, I think we're improving around that. Well, you got to give away your Tesla, Noah. That was my Tesla. Oh, it was your car? That was my fucking car. Yeah. Straight up gave it away. <laughs> I did buy the new, uh, I bought the Model Y, which I, I love. So I'll probably give that away. Why but do you like right Tesla now, so much? You've driven one, right? I've driven one. Yeah. But this is like maybe 2012 or so, 2013. Oh, yeah. dude. It's like when you had, it's like from, the, and I know people say this example, but it's like having the iPhone versus a flip phone. It's just like, and, and you should try a recent one, man. If you come down to Austin or if you get a chance to go drive a newer one. Well, I got this new one. They got this plaid version, which is like a thousand horsepower. Apparently it like hurts when you accelerate. Like it actually hurts your body physically. I can see that. That, I mean, I'm not as into the speed stuff as you are. I think on one hand, it's like, there's so many tiny details and I'm happy to give a few specifics. There's so many tiny details that they just improved on. That have just added up to like a huge difference. They're like, I have a Miata. I have a like a fixed up Miata. That's my mm -hmm. weekend ride. And I love it for the weekend ride. But like in terms of just like overall car, like they've done so many nice details. Like the fact that you never need a key anymore. Kind of tiny, but you mm -hmm. don't need a key anymore. Your windshield wipers are automatic. You never have to think about that anymore. The mm -hmm. car, by the way, fucking drives itself. The amount of energy I don't have to think about now when I want to do a road trip or if I'm driving anywhere is, is unbelievable. Are you able to do work while the car is driving itself? Dude, when I did my road trip from or Texas your dating to app, you're like swiping. Or you're oh, going when I was okay, when I was driving to California this summer, when I was living there, I had my phone, my iPad and my laptop out while I was driving. Well, while the car was driving, because mm. you can put a water bottle on so the, the car will just drive. You know, you don't normally now you have to touch the steering wheel to show that you're you're there. Mm. Uh, but you can do a hack to make, you know, so it seems like you're touching the steering wheel. But dude, it's just so far ahead of everything else. Like when I drive like a rental car or other cars. It just feels like such a step back in history. Um, talk to me about cryptocurrency. Which well, I'm in the that like I'm in the mecca of it in Puerto Rico. This shit is wild, dude. Yeah. This so, like, what are you into? You into like Bitcoin, like Ether, like all the altcoins? Like, what are you investing in? So, let me just take a step back and explain my my investing style. I am not a risky investor. Mm. So it's so funny though because people always think entrepreneurs they're fucking crazy and they take all these big risks. I don't think I've ever really taken a big risk. Entrepreneurs are calculated risk takers. Yeah. Everything I've done, but very calculated. Like when I left Intel to work at Facebook, my mom was like, I can't believe you're doing this. I was like, there's no risk here. Like we already had series A, so we had some money. I knew it was exploding. I knew there was going to be like a giant business. Same thing. Like when I went to go work at Mint, same thing when I started AppSumo, I was like, I don't have a high cost of living. So even if I can just make a few thousand bucks a month, like that's not that risky for me to go do this business. Plus mm -hmm. I have consulting gigs. So with Bitcoin and that, uh, everyone's got a Bitcoin story. Oh, I had a friend. He told me, it's like, shut up, bitch. If you either you did it or you didn't do it. <laughs> I just, they all, everyone's got a fucking story. It's like, either you have it and the people who have a lot of this shit don't talk about it. And I'll tell, I'll tell you a quick, crazy story. I'll tell I you talked to a guy story. the other night that's got yeah. 4,500 Bitcoin. I was like, shit. Okay. That guy, by the way, would you have known if you'd met him and talked to him on the street, would you have known, known no. he had it? They shut the fuck up. Yeah. All the richest people shut the fuck up. Like all the ones like Gary V and all these people who talks, and even myself, like talk a shit ton about all this stuff. Most of them don't, aren't that fucking rich. Like the real rich, shut the fuck up. Anyways, the, a guy that was one of our AppSumo customers who I met, he tried to do a startup for 15 years. He was grinding on startups. 
and then like I met him, uh, this is probably about four years ago. I met him. I was like, dude, how'd your startups do? He's like, none of them ever worked, but I bought Ethereum at a dollar and now he's worth nine figures. So just kind of funny how, uh, like you ever seen the movie, a small time crook? No, it's good. Oh, oh, dude, I fucking love that movie. These guys try to rob a bank and to rob a bank, they buy a cookie store and, uh, the whole movie, they're trying to rob the bank. And then halfway through the movie, the wife's cookie store makes a million dollars and they get rich. So it's kind of like a, I, I like, it's like, like one of those stories where they buy the cookie store beside, beside the bank to like dig yeah, underneath. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Exactly. So for me, my, I'm not a crazy, you know, for how much money I have, I, I like a lot in cash. I like seeing it. I've tried as now I'm in my, you know, I'm almost 40. Like I'm trying to be a little bit more, actually more risk taking in it. But generally with crypto, uh, my personal story was everyone in our company bought it in 2013. And I was like, you guys are fucking retarded. It's fake money. And then in 2016 or 2015, I needed to buy an illegal NFL stream straight. So there's a site. It's still online. I still use it. It's called seasons for you, uh, seasons for, and then you, and it's, you can get amazing streams of any sport team or like MMA for a hundred bucks, yep. but you had to pay in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Okay. So I was like, ah, fuck. So I went and bought the Bitcoin and I bought the stream and I still pay the, I pay these guys every year and I use the crypto. And then I was like, holy shit, I can see where there, this is interesting. I can see, and I think that sometimes if you're not, if you don't get NFT, which I'm getting really into, or trying to understand it, I'm not getting into it. I'm trying to, you've, you've heard of NFT? Yeah, I watched a video the other day by Alex Becker talking about it. And I just, I get it. I'm still not going to throw my money at it. Sometimes it seems like it's dumbasses trying to just get rich. And this is the thing that the Robinhood traders think is the next GameStop. Like, I still don't fucking understand. Like, GameStop doesn't make sense at these valuations, fundamentally. Um, I think it's the same with a lot of this stuff is people chasing. I think it's a lot of gamblers thinking this is how they're going to get rich. And I try to discourage that shit. It's like, that's yeah. not how you're gonna, so for me with crypto, people, people yeah, don't sorry. understand that there's no get rich quick schemes, like anything that exists. Like if you're going to be successful and wealthy, there's, there's always work and time that's involved. Like every single overnight success Amen. that I know was Amen. five, 10 years. I would say it's 10 years. Honestly, I'd say it's 10 years minimum. Like it took me 10 years to make my first mill. Yeah. But people are like, oh, I'm going to be a fucking Robin Hood millionaire. And I'm like, that is just not the reality. They don't get it, man. I, I mean, I started my channel in 2014. I've got almost a thousand. Well, I've, I've got more than a thousand videos because there's a lot of videos that I recorded that never got uploaded or maybe got uploaded, never got published. So they don't see like all the work that went in because they're like, oh, well, you know, your channel just blew up. No, I, I published like a thousand videos. That is exactly, so for me with the crypto shit, it was like, I, I don't try to get, I, I talked to this investor, one of my favorite guys on YouTube, uh, at, more on Twitter and his blog, his name is Aswat Damadoran. He's a NYU finance professor and he is awesome. And he said to me, he's like, investing is not how you get rich. It's how you stay rich. And I think unless you're a professional investor, unless you're Warren Buffett and you want to dedicate your life to it, which these guys aren't, these guys read some bullshit on WSB, Wall Street Bets, and they go crazy on some trades and they think that's how you're going to get rich. And I, I'm, uh, I guess, tr more traditionalist where you fucking make money with business or content like on YouTube, whatever it is, and then you stay rich by investing smart. And so with crypto, uh, when it was $400 in 2015 or whenever that was, I put it $7,000. And then I dollar cost average $500 a month since then. Mm. Um, and so my, my crypto is now worth like 1.2 or 1.3 million. And then since then... I buy, I bought, so I call them lotto tickets because I think they're dumb. They're dumb tax. I don't fully understand it, but I have some friends who are now multimillionaires on crypto. And I say, Hey, I'm willing to risk 10,000, 20,000 bucks. So what are the stupidest coins or coins that you guys are recommending? Mm -hmm. So I have like, let me pull them up. But these are the ones that my friends who are studying it and into it. Oh, How sorry. often do you throw $10,000 at one of those? Like, is it every, every month, every week, every quarter? I, you know, I think the way that you should approach finances, this is from my stepdad is asset allocation. 
So that's how I've always done it, which is like how much percent of your net worth do you want in different things? So cash, real estate, equities, and risky. That's that's how I balance it out. And mm -hmm. so I want around 15% in risky. So up until that point, risky to me is anything I'm okay losing. So ideally, it's something that's risky or I'm Would you call Bitcoin or, risky right now? Uh, yeah. You still think it's risky? Like it's still yes. in the risky category for you? Yeah, big time. Okay. I think the volatility is risky. I think people can put in and be like, oh, it's got to go up. It's like people are stupid. What percentage of your portfolio is Bitcoin? All right, let me pull it up. Versus the other like alt shit. Oh, coins. of the alt stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I think I have about 1.5 million all in with all crypto. About 80% is it's in focused, Bitcoin. But, okay, 80% Bitcoin, got it. Bitcoin's at 1.187. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say about 90% Bitcoin, 10%, 90% Bitcoin, 88% like Ethereum. And then I'll tell you the random shit that my friends, so one of my friends works at Coinbase. Okay. Um, so he told me to buy Uniswap, Compound, mm -hmm. and AAVE. They're DeFi Ave. tokens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ave, I don't yeah. fully understand them yet. I haven't tried to. And then my other friend who's worth nine figures on crypto, I just said, hey, what are the random ones you're buying? He said, buy VeChain, Cardano, Chainlink, and Polkadot. And I have about $15,000 into those. And at what point will you get out of them? Like, are you going to get out at a certain percentage increase? Never. Or are you going to wait for Never. anybody to call you and say, here, sell it now? Or are you just going to hold on to it and let the cream rise to the top? Yeah, this is stuff I'm never selling. I've never I've sold half a Bitcoin a month ago to experience it when it was at mm -hmm. 40. But that was the only thing I've ever sold. And I've reinvested it back in. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think I'll sell ever again. Mm -hmm. I don't have a plan. Honestly, I don't have a plan to. I don't need the money. It's kind of funny money to me. Like the fact that it's this high is still kind of crazy. What do you think of Michael Saylor's um, position that Bitcoin's like digital real estate? I don't know if you've you know heard him talk about that. I think if it serves his purpose, it's interesting. You know, like he's there because he you know makes it good. That's the kind of thing I worry about all this NFT stuff because it's like I feel like it's people just trying to make it valuable. Like, oh, it's digital and it's exclusive and right. it's on the blockchain and you can invest in it. I'm like, well. Is it really? Or are we just stupid asses following other stupid asses? Like, what's your prediction for the value of Bitcoin by the end of this year? Let me take one step back on this. So my okay. friend who I'm staying with, I went to the room before this chat and he, his bank locked his account. They locked his funds. They locked he his has Chase. fiat front his funds? Fund. Okay. Yeah, his cash. So in Chase, Why? he logged in and his funds were locked. Why did they do that? They said that the, the state the state that he's from didn't like something he did, so they just called the bank and had it locked, these the certain funds. And this, my friend's like not a shady-ass dude at all. He's yeah. straight up legit. Like, I would put my life on it like this guy's straight. And so that's concerning to me. Well, that can never happen with Bitcoin when you have your own keys on your cold storage wallet, right? Exactly. So if you're on Coinbase, there's some concern, which I am on a lot is on Coinbase, uh, which I'm moving off shortly. So there's concern. But the, the thing with crypto is like, that's kind of nice that no company, no uh, government can just take my money. And yeah. freeze my ass. Price predictions? It, I don't. I don't do could, price predictions because I don't know, and I don't. I don't really think about it that way. It could be worse. I mean, this could be like a South American country, or like uh, uh, what happened in Cyprus, where the banks just basically took your money out of your bank account because they felt like it. I think one thing that that blows my mind about Americans is how naive I am, and we are that we're just going to be the best forever. Like, if you will look at history, and I haven't done it extensively, I think it'd be interesting to talk more historians. Like, civilizations fail; the great people fall. But for some reason, we're like, we're America, we're great forever. Uh, and I think that that kind of goes the same for our currency. So I tweeted this out shortly after Tesla bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin because it was only worth 10% of their cash. And between Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon, which would be the top five uh, listed companies. That's interesting. Holding cash right now. You've got uh, one, two, three, four, five. That's a great tweet. I'm going to go retweet that, dude. 
it's basically about $600 billion worth of cash. They're sitting on $600 billion worth of cash. And if they were to do the same thing that Tesla did, which was convert 10% of their cash holdings into Bitcoin, what do you think that would do to the value of the Bitcoin? And I think it's going to happen over the next couple of months because Saylor just gave out the playbook to all these corporations in his recent conference, right? So I will tell you, I messaged our leadership team at AppSumo. We're going to probably put a million in from our company. Boy. Um, I think it makes sense. Just going to do I slow do. clap. Just going to do slow clap. Thank nice, you. Dude, I'll Thank take you for it. doing your part. We put a mil- oh, yeah, we're going to put about a million in. I believe in it. Like That's why I put it in a long time ago. I think there's something really interesting that there's a universal currency across the entire world that's not run by the US government. I think there's a lot of promise on it. So I, I think I'm still curious if it's going to be used as a medium of exchange or store value and stuff that honestly I don't really debate or like get too uh, into the weeds of. I'm just like, it's interesting. And I like parts of it. But uh, I like it. Yeah. Um, the only thing I don't like about it right now is, is, it's, is it takes a while to do like transfer still, but um, that's okay. I just look at it as a store of value. I'm not really looking at it as a form of uh, currency. Uh, Pedro sends a super chat. He has a question on average. How many close friends does an entrepreneur have or spend time with? I have 18. You know that like, boom, I do. 18. Like, Cause every quarter I do a council of wise men meeting via okay. zoom. And we have a Zoom call where the council gets together. Sometimes it's them just giving me advice. And other times it's just us talking life. But it's 18 guys. Can you, can you name the 18 guys? You can try. Uh, my brother, Seth Kagan. Eric Southwell, who I'm staying with. Marty Motoyama, uh, my best friend from high school, works at Stripe. Uh, Boris Korsunsky, one of the first people at Lyft. John Ross Ray's high school friend, works at Amazon, lives in Dallas. Brian Cotlier, who's, uh, from the Bay Area. Adam Gilbert, Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Armbrust, getting close to nine. That's pretty impressive. I can't name halfway through. Yeah, hold on. Well, I can go further. It just takes a little bit more time. But I mean, like the point being is that he's basically asking about your circle of influ- influence. I mean, um, I could probably name oh, on Chad. one or two hands my, my closest friends, but they would have all have been from my time with EO and EOA, but mostly EO. I don't know if you ever joined like an entrepreneur's organization. Like, do you yeah. ever look for those or... I've tried. I didn't find the, the people there interesting. But I will say that my success is 90% from the people I'm around. And mm. this is going to sound offensive, but I don't really have poor friends. Well, I don't even know that's offensive. But I just like, I was talking to a friend. There's going to be some people that would be offended by that, but that's okay. Uh, they're fucking offended by everything. That's yeah. why I appreciate you at least. Because like, I, I'm still on like, I think I, I'm pretty out there, but not as far out there as you. And I admire that mm. in terms of what, I, what I'm like. I feel like the R word, I can't say that because team doesn't like it. But for example, my friend Joe, who's aka Crypto Joe, he runs Unchained Capital. Uh, he's one of the council. He was talking to a friend in Alaska. That's where he's from, who's a fireman. And he asked me, he's like, do you have any friends that are not like super successful? And I was like, no. And I didn't really ever, I never really thought about that. But it's not just about money because I'm not a flashy, I don't have all this fancy shit. Like I have nice stuff. But I think it's more I, I'm, I try to be around people I admire or people that I'm impressed with. Uh, and so like my buddy Neville Medor, he's on the council. Like he's one of the best copywriters online and he's just a really happy, creative person. And so I think I'm more intentional than most people about removing people from my life and just being very intentional about like, those are the people that are fucking amazing. So I'm going to do whatever I can to, like I flew to Puerto Rico to, to spend more time with Eric. What is the and, yardstick uh, that you use to, because what you're talking about basically is drawing a perimeter around yourself and saying, you guys are on the outside and these guys are on the inside. So it's us versus them, which is totally fine. And when we talked on the phone last month, I said, read Jack Donovan, because he talks about masculinity and uh, men's nature and, uh, you know, like the tribal nature of men, right? So um, 
what like what yardstick do you use to measure like is it is it the level of their wealth is it what they do for a living is it the is it like a sniff test like you know i like this guy you know sort of thing like what do you use it has nothing to do with wealth because i have friends who are billionaire do I have friends it just so wealth? happens yeah. to be I, that I, they are wealthy yeah i have friends who are billionaires i have friends who are 100 millionaires i have friends who are like you know single millionaires um the money has nothing to do with it the money is more indicative of what they've done to get to that level so it's like hey i'm doing they're doing interesting shit that i'm impressed with and I would say it's probably just two things. Like, are they impressive? And then are they happy? Like, cause I think I'm a little bit of a neurotic critical person where like I can go through swings of emotions more than most. I think people have different wavelengths of that. And so I really, even if they're like really impressive, but they're kind of Debbie downers, then I don't, I won't hang out with something like that. And so I'd say the majority of my friends, like if you met them, it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. Like my friends are fucking impressive. Are you fastidious about removing people from your us versus them council? If you find they cross like a bottom line? Those people that are in the 18, like uh, they'll never be out. Okay. I mean, there's going to be people that have come and go gone, like over the years, I would imagine that you might've been close with and you're like, nope, that guy double crossed me, that guy, whatever. He's now Mm -hmm. on, on the them side of the wall. I think one thing I've used, I'll tell you two, two experiences. I think there's one thing I've learned as I've gotten older is that there's, there's acquaintances and being okay that they're an acquaintance and not a friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a friend who's an old, you know, Keith Ferrazzi's book, never eat alone is a good book on how to make friends and, and networking stuff like that. But okay. one of the things I think he talked about was that like there's old friends. So I have an old, I have two, I have three old friends. One of them, I like every time I talked to her, it was kind of negative and it was kind of critical of me. And it, like I wished her a Shabbat Shalom on a Friday. And mm-hmm. she's like, "Why do you want to keep in touch? Like, what's the point of this?" And I was like, "Well, fuck you then." Like, <laughs> and I stopped. No, this is that's what I did. I was like, "Well, fuck you then." Like, I'm making an effort to try to stay connected, try to open our communication, and have our you know stay as a close friend. And it just wasn't there. And I have I have friends outside of the 18. Like yeah. don't get me wrong. I have, but these are like you ask how many close friends? That, that's exactly my number. But there are people that are like you know super famous. Like everyone in the chat or everyone's view knows them that I'm acquaintances with. But would I call them if I was in a fucking emergency? Hell no. And I think that's something that uh, you know if you have all these famous successful friends doesn't mean that they're actually great friends. If one of the 18 would come to your front door at two o'clock in the morning and have a shovel in his hand and say, "Hey, I got a body in the truck. I need help." Would you? Uh, probably not. Okay. Probably not. Are there, I would are, let, there, are there any of the 18 that you would do it for? I don't think I would risk my life for that. Got it. I mean, I would risk financially a body. Now, like I've had two of them. I've loaned like three hundred to $400,000 without really no agreements, no nothing. And then they're mm-hmm. just like, hey, I need to borrow this money. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. I think going to jail or risking my life for them, probably not. Got it. Interesting. Well, I have one friend, <laughs> one of my best friends, Adam Gilbert. He runs mybodytutor.com. What He's about your brother? Those... What if your brother showed up at the front door, you know, with a shovel? I don't Man, think I got to so. get rid of this thing. It's in the trunk. Help me out. I need to think about No, I'd say no. No? I mean, I... Uh, I would. I'd probably try to brainstorm with them. I'd probably <laughs> like... Here, like <laughs> You're going to try I'd to probably... problem solve it as an entrepreneur. Hang on, there's got to be another solution here. Well, I'd probably like, I, hey, my assistant can be, like distance and my assistant will go do it. Uh, we will hire someone on TaskRabbit. <laughs> uh, maybe put a Craigslist gig up. <laughs> Like, okay. I'm trying to, oh, so you, if your brother came to you and he's like, I got a body in the trunk. I would not even fucking skip a beat. I'd, I'd throw my jack and be like, let's go, bitch. Let's fucking do this. Done. So what level of friendship? Like, so if one, I don't know why that your brother's killing people. That's probably something that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Did, then, you know, his problem is my problem. Han, so who would you do that for? My brother. Both of my brothers, what, actually. I've got two. What about other close friends? Um, I'd have to think about that. It, it depends who it is. 
Would I you definitely would it put it out on TaskRabbit or anything like that. <laughs> no, but I, I, it's not, I don't think it makes you more of a man than me. It's just interesting what level you're willing to go for for these people. I, I think something I'll, I will tell you that I've been really reflecting on, Richard. Yep. I've really been reflecting how selfish I am. Not just this, not because I won't fucking bury bodies. Like, that's a bullshit one to me. Mm. But like, I don't know if, I'll just speak for myself. I don't know if I was always as happy for others as like, they're happy for me. Which is some real fucking real like in, internal shit that I think other people have too, which is, oh, they made, my friend got rich. Fuck, I wish I was more rich. Or my friend got more crypto and he did all that stuff. Or it's, it actually, it, I, I kind of not solved it, but it really hit me home when one of my best friends, one of my best in this, in the circle, his wife got pregnant. And my first thought was not like so happy for this fucking guy, which is what it, you know, I guess should be. It was like, I'm jealous. Like this guy's so much further ahead in life than I am. Um, and that was a fucking dude. That was like a wake up call to me to be like, you need to check your shit. Noah. like, this is your best dude. Like he would, I don't know if he'd bury bodies, but he would go really fucking far for me. I don't, yeah. I don't get excited when I find out that somebody's like pregnant. Like I don't no, care. not like, pregnant. I, not that I don't give a shit about somebody else's kids. Like I care about my kid. Right? <laughs> no, 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 I feel like that. But you know, like, let's say like your buddy had this level of success you wanted. And it's just like, it was interesting to just notice. It doesn't have to be the kid thing. It'd be anything. And it was just like, mm-hmm. Oh, Noah, you're, these are people that you should be happy for. Like well, if I got pregnant or, or got money or whatever, they'd be so fucking happy for me. Well, here's what's interesting about that. Cause I had a mentor once that said, what, watch what your close friends do when you're successful. If they're not celebrating with you, ask yourself why. Right. <laughs> I think that's fucking great, man. And so I think they could be surface level. Like, oh, I'm happy for you. But, uh, I will say that that made me really reflect on like, Hey, why am I not happy with myself? Cause it's not about him. It's his fucking thing. And so I just sat with it for a while and I've still like processed, but it's, it is just like, it's more like, what did I feel like I was lacking? And I was like, Hey, I'm actually not lacking a baby. If I want to go get someone pregnant, I can go put my dick in people, get someone that's, pregnant. That's pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's doable. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just, it's just choosing the right one. So you don't stick your dick in crazy yeah. and, and, and then create a whole bunch of other problems on the back well, end. They're all crazy. Just to what level? Yeah, I agree. And so, yeah. So with that, it was just more, you know, starting to work on being more satisfied with everything I have, the money I have, the house I have, like not necessarily starting to feel like, oh, I need more things to finally feel fucking good. And mm-hmm. it's honestly, since then, it's been, it's been feeling a lot fucking better. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode. If you did, go check out Entrepreneurs in Cars on YouTube and or you can buy Richard's book, Alpha Unplugged on Amazon, probably. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go drive in a car together. Before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash okdork. And also, if you're a creator or you want to be a creator, go list your book, course, or software on appsumo.com slash sell. It is brand new. Creators are earning 30000 a day from it. It's massive. I, I honestly think it's one of the best opportunities for creators to make money I've seen in a long time. That is appsumo.com slash sell. Promote your stuff to over a million people a month. Finally, a couple shout outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com who does all the edits on these episodes. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, Hubert, Jonathan Sasa, and Jen from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, props to Kale Hale for the latest thought leadership post on why products are successful in Marketplace. And a shout out to the all-star team of Max, Victor, Kamal, Dean, and Celeste behind the scenes who make the thought leadership initiative possible. Have a Southern California day. What's your favorite soda flavor? Bye.